The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and today we're going to continue our talk on testing our plans. Last week, we talked about how we get our buy-in together. We show the value to our um, senior management and our employees and you know, fellow colleagues and our vendors, etc. So this week, I thought, well, let's focus on what we uh, what what kind of test you know, we have at our disposal, what kind of tests can we do and what, you know, the, the details about them. And then we'll move on to how we capture what we're going to do. I also have an audit designation. So I tend to kind of look at things from an audit perspective. You know, if we're saying we're going to do something, did we do what we do? Uh, we said we were going to do. And, you know, our executive summary part or, or our findings, we capture this is what we did. So, you know, audit tends to look at things like that. So I'm going to go through some of that with you. Um, Again, this is captured in, uh, a lot of this is captured in my book, Testing uh, Disaster Recovery and Business Continuity Plans. And a lot of that information is there for you. Um, You know, so feel free to pick up a copy at Amazon. Um, You know, there are templates as well that you can use on uh, stone-road.com that uh, we sell there for you as well. And then you can reuse them over and over again and make things very easy. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, And again, I just want to stress if anyone does have any topics they want to talk about or if they want to be a guest on the show to talk about something, you know, that's uh, related to the business continuity, emergency response, disaster planning, crisis communications field, you know, lessons learned or new ways of thinking or, or any aspect of any of those groups, you know, something that prepares people uh, for the future, please feel free to send me an email, alex at stone-road.com. And we'll look into, uh, you know, trying to uh, put some sort of an agenda together and what you want to talk about, and we'll see about getting you on the show. Um, I'm always open to new ideas and new thoughts, so please feel free to uh, to do that. You know, I welcome your, your input. So let's move on to what kinds of tests do we have? It's uh, very easy to say, you know, we're just going to test our plans, but, you know, it's not that easy all the time. There's so much... So much to do. You can't, 
you know, if it takes years and years and years to build up an organization, you know, with multiple locations and, and possibly hundreds of employees and different processes and all the partners and vendors and client relationships and service level agreements and all the various technologies involved with doing that, you can't just say we're going to test and be up and running in no time at all. You know, it's, you, if it takes that long to build a company, to rebuild it after a disaster, it's not going to just happen in a day. You know, it, in a perfect world, it would, but since disasters are always different, you know, no matter where you go and no matter what the situation is, they're going to impact you differently. No two, no two disasters are the same. So when you start your plan, you're uh, building your plans or your program, you know, a lot of times people don't start with the ultimate of test everything all at once. You start off small and you progress through. And a lot of times, the first one to start is simply a dry run. You know, you may not have anything documented or, you know, it's kind of a uh, uh, the back of a napkin type plan where you start discussing with the appropriate people at the table, you know, what do we do if something happens, you know, and you, you have a major thing, we lose our building, let's say, you know, we can't, can't do our, uh, can't come into the office. What do we do? And you talk it out. And you capture, well, this is what we expect from this group. This is what this group would do. And we're thinking this would happen. And you start mapping that out, you know, because that starts building your actual plans, you know. And you, yes, you may have assumptions. And don't forget to ever capture assumptions. I said it last week and I'll say it again. The only thing that will be proven correct in a disaster is that all your assumptions are wrong. You know, so... Capture those, and then as you move through your process of testing and validating and updating and maintaining your programs, you start looking at those assumptions and saying, no, this isn't true, or yes, this is true, and they start actually becoming you know, part of the overall restoration and recovery process. So a dry run, you know, make sure you've got the right people at the table, you, you sit around, you talk what's going to happen, you know, and, and you, you make sure you have someone who's documenting you know, you're doing the minutes um, and the, any action items and capturing assumptions or decisions that need to be made, you know, capture all of that. Um, I don't always recommend that it has to be the facilitator doing that because sometimes that's a person who's trying to tell other people, hey, let that person talk. You know, they're trying to manage the meeting and manage the time and everything about it. You know, it's break time, so let's go and see where we are and, you know, so have someone there who can actually capture and just focus on on the capturing that kind of stuff. Then there's the tabletop walkthrough. This is kind of like a dry run, but the walkthrough is more focused on something that has now been developed. You know, you have a, uh, let's say, a skeleton plan or a draft plan, you know, and now you're actually going to go through it based on uh, specific uh, simulations, you know, whether it be a flood or tornado or wherever you are. You know, if you're in the Midwest of the United States, you're more prone to, you know, tornadoes than you would be, you know, tsunamis. So you would look at, you know, situations that are relevant to wherever you are and, you would try and go through, okay, we had a, a, a hurricane and it's on a Wednesday on a busy processing day. Let's go through our plans. What does it say we would do? And you start working out and, and identifying the gaps and refining some details and you start adding more detail to it. You know, that skeleton plan now starts to fill out. 
And again, of course, you also identify, you know, uh, issues and risks that come out. You know, you, you're building an entire program, you know, for an entire company. So you need someone again to capture all that information for you because that's your plan to move forward, right? That's how you're going to uh, make your plans and your programs stronger. So a walkthrough, um, you know, has t- takes care of all that. And But there are some things to, to think about when you have the, the uh, walkthrough tabletop meeting because a lot of times... Uh, and I've I've seen it. People will talk over each other. Don't let that happen. You know, everyone's point of view is valid. Everyone's got a valid point of view. You know, it, a business continuity plan is not just for you know a director of sales or the VP of IT or you know client services. It's for everyone. So everyone's point of view, you know, is is valuable. They're all stakeholders and. You know, managing that is stakeholder management, which you may remember from a previous uh, show where we talked um, with Sue Ross Baker about program and project management and stakeholder management and expectations is a key piece. So you want to make sure that that's taken care of with all these people sitting at the table. Let everyone speak, okay, and keep everyone calm. Sometimes talking about disasters, you know, it can bring out, you know, emotions, you know, especially right now, as I'm recording this, I know that there are floods going on in Houston, and it's terrible to see the devastation and the impact that it's having on people, and it can bring out emotions. So when you're talking, you know, with people at a tabletop going through a plan where it's possible the scenario you've chosen has potential casualties, you're talking about people's friends and maybe even themselves, you know, and their work colleagues. So try to keep calm. You know, there, there's no point in everyone yelling over each other and trying to figure things out. Again, I have already mentioned it, have someone who takes notes and, you know, the action items, the issues, the risks, you know, the gaps, anything that needs to be done. Don't don't forget that. And if you do have a, a documented plan, make sure everyone's got a copy. You know, if you're doing the tabletop walkthrough, that's the plan you're testing, you know, or you're, you're walking through. You know, I shouldn't say testing, you know, but you're you're walking through that, you know, so make sure everyone's got a plan so that that way they can stick to the, situ- the situation and the scenario you've chosen. You know, if you're, the situation is about flooding, you know, why are we talking about earthquakes, you know, on the other side of the planet? You know, you may get there at some point, you know, at a future exercise, a future test, but... Right now, stick with the situation, you know, that you've got. The scenario you've chosen is X, so stick with X. And, of course, you know, um, and I mentioned assumptions, stick with assumptions as well. You know, keep reviewing those as you go through the walkthrough. When you did your dry run, you may have identified 10 different assumptions. Well, now that you're going through a dry run, have you addressed those 10, 10 assumptions? Are they proven correct? Is there an issue with them? Um, you know, are they still valid, you know, and you want to make sure, you know, because if you do, if you don't need them anymore, you know, we, we assume sales would do X, Y, Z, you get to your walkthrough and you find out sales does not do X, Y, Z. Well, then you got to account for that. Our next one is the component level test. So on a component level test, you are doing exactly that. You're just testing one component. When we talk about component level testing, a lot of times, um, it tends to refer to different uh, 
technology components. So things like a, um, uh, you know, uh, the email server, so to speak, you know, that's the, that's the one piece we're going to test. You know, can we bring, if, can we disconnect it from our production environment, recreate it, and how long does it take us to do? You know, after you do your business impact analysis, which will be a future show uh, topic, we're supposed to have email up in three hours. Well, let's test that component. Can we bring that piece up in three hours? If not, what's the problem? You know, do we, do we not have the equipment? Do we not have the resources? You know, is it certain configurations that are in place that uh, don't allow us to do that? So you want to go through all of that, right? And, and make sure that in a real situation, when email goes down, you do have it up in three hours. You know, but you're only going to be able to do that by rehearsing and, you know, and testing that component. And as you move forward, that component starts falling into larger and larger tests, you know, three hours we're to have email up and we're supposed to have, you know, the ABC server up. Now, can you do that? Can you do those components? And when that starts happening, you start moving into the functional testing where you take a, a line of business, so to speak, you know, a whole process from end to end. And, can, and every system, every uh, business unit, every IT unit that has something to do with that process is involved. From data entry to creating reports at the end to uh, the technology that sends files to the multiple locations where, you know, where they need to go, we, you test that whole stream. You know, that's the, you know, this, this marketing application uh, process that we have is the most important system we've got in the, in the company. So you want to make sure, can we bring that up when we need to? You know, what pieces are involved with that? What do we need to do? So, and functional sometimes can also mean uh, other other pieces of the uh, business continuity management program, you know, the whole crisis management function. You know, I, I've seen, I, like I said, a lot of people tend to think it's technology recovery, but I've also been uh, at clients where they say, well, when we, are, when we talk about functional uh, testing, we're also not just talking about the business unit uh, processes and bringing them up or IT uh, functions that need to come up, but some of our disaster recovery stuff as well. So that's a thought that you might want to keep, you know, which is, uh, as a good example, would be your evacuation procedures, that whole function. How does that work? You know, do we have everything in place? And I think we talked about that a couple of weeks ago again. And, you know, from the time the alarms go off, do the fire wardens or floor wardens know what to do? Do the employees know what to do? Do they know where to go? What do they do when they get there? Who do they talk to? You know, who do the floor wardens talk to when they get outside? Who talks to the first responders? You know, what information do they have to have for the floor, the uh, first responders? So, you know, I, I know some people talk about that as the entire function. So, when you're when you're talking like that, think uh, about functional testing. Think of the end to end, what starts and how it ends. That whole process, that's functional testing. Then we move on to uh, simulations, where we actually simulate a specific situation. And I've uh, I'm not sure if it's pleasure or not, but I've had the uh, uh, experiences of going through a few of these, um, actually more than a few, quite a few, uh, where we simulate we've lost a facility, we've lost a main component, you know, and what do we do? You know, and everything involved with that, you, which means activating, you know, the processes for your crisis management team, um, how they communicate 
at first notification of, of a situation, how they activate the various teams. So the technology teams goes off and recreates, you know, rebuilds or restores, you know, the necessary equipment and the data needed to having the, uh, once they finish that, you know, uh, bringing in uh, users from the business side, you know, validate that everything works. And if you have third-party vendors, it includes them as well. You know, we, we've, identify the problem, we can't deal with it here, we have to put our vendor on notice, we're still dealing with it on our side, but we can't get it resolved now, so now the, the notification to the vendor, you're now, you know, you're active, you need to make your site available because we're sending people over there. And then they do what they need to do. So you simulate that full end-to-end you know, process that you've documented, you know, which would have started off by doing components and, and you know, dry walkthroughs and tabletops and functional. Now you're kind of bringing all of those together to the next step, you know, and, and making sure that it works. And I've been through those. And um, at one, uh, one company I worked for, we had, and I think I mentioned this last week, you know, three different countries, five locations, you know, and 170 people. That was a lot to coordinate and a lot to plan. You know, and I'm going to get to the the planning part afterwards, um, a little later. But as you start doing these simulations, there's a greater level of planning involved. You know, quite a bit of planning involved, because it's the first time you're doing it. And you, like I said, yes, uh, last week, you don't want to impact your production environments. You know, if you want to make sure that your clients and your customers and you know the employees that are working on things aren't impacted by these tests, so. Simulations can take a lot of planning to make sure that, you know, production environments are still covered. You know, if there's an issue there, they can still be dealt with. You know, not everyone is taken away and working on the test. So simulations, when you first start them, can take up a lot of planning, you know, sometimes a couple of months to document everything. And what I'm going to touch base on in the next two segments is actually how you identify that, how you capture that from an audit perspective, you know, and what I call a, uh, uh, like a scope charter um, artifact or dark document that outlines, you know, the, the context and everything involved with the test. Um, and then our final test is uh, one that not usually a lot of people do. And that's the unannounced, where you just... You know, if it's the vice president of IT or, you know, client services or finance or somebody just says, snap of a finger, we're now in disaster mode. Go to it. Those can be really tricky because uh, that causes a lot of panic, you know, and it, it will ultimately impact, you know, your, your daily operations, you know, your clients, you know, your customers that are calling in when all of a sudden you're in disaster mode. You know, and sometimes that does include putting messages up on your your um, internet sites and your your phone messages saying that we're sorry experiencing a, a disaster right now. You know, call us back in um, you know two hours or the next day or whatever the the circumstances may call for. That can cause a lot of problems because some people you know they don't see the smoke. So they don't think it's a real disaster. So people tend to spend the first hour or two wandering around. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? What's happening? Well, what do we do? Rather than pull out the plan, this is what we need to do. You know, so um, those can be uh, really tricky to, to manage. But, you know, if you do do it, more power to you because it means if you're able to do that and pull that off, 
then you've done all these other testing. Your your training is really up to par. The awareness is really there. You know, so you know if you can do that, that's great, and it gives a real true picture of where you are. You know, in your program, are you really as far as you think you are, or is it really just been you know uh, candy coating? You know, so. So on that, those are the different kinds of tests that we have uh, on our next segment. We'll come back and we'll talk about, you know, uh, getting our scope together and some of the planning activities around some of these big tests. Okay, so uh, we'll be right back with uh, preparing for the unexpected and uh, we'll talk to you in a few moments. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back. We're talking about tests this uh, week and uh, part two of our three-part series. And this uh segment we're going to talk about you know uh, how we plan for our tests you know and also from an audit perspective you know so that we can prove that we are doing what we uh, are, are saying we're going to do you know uh, as a person who's done a lot of auditing uh, especially of uh, plans and uh, programs and worked in program or project management I tend to try and make audit my best friend you know uh, if they have questions you know, I deal with them. I know a lot of people uh, tend to see audit as an enemy, but, uh, you know, all they're doing is making sure that we are doing what we say we are doing, you know, and can prove it. So, it's, you know, it's almost like a policeman, right? You know, <laughs> so they, uh, they're, they can be very helpful. And one of the ways to do that, especially with these large tests, you know, the, the, uh, the simulations, like I mentioned in the last segment, when you're first starting out, you've got to do a lot of planning. 
you know, it's, and it, it's best to capture some of this planning, you know, so that everyone has the same expectation, you know, and what I tend to do is I create a document I call either a scope charter or, you know, the, the test charter, um, the test scope document, you know, you can name it whatever you want. Um, and it's full of the, the parameters of that make up this test. You know, so what kind of sections are in there? Well, obviously, like all documents, you've got your usual, you know, revision histories and your overview, you know, what it is you're, you're doing. You know, we're testing our, our business continuity management program, our disaster program uh, to meet audit requirements or, you know, if you're going for us, you know, to try and meet uh, standard uh, obligations like ISO or, or something else, you know, we're doing this so that we can get our, you know, our, our certification in that standard. So that usually makes up the first couple of pages, you know, with with the purpose, what's the purpose of this document, you know, who's it for, the audience, you know, and these documents, by the way, when you, and I, I know I'm saying documents, but it's actually just one document, so I don't want anyone to panic out there thinking that there's a whole bunch of things they need to fill out, it's just one, you know, uh, the audience, you don't, it's not general audience, you know, for everyone in the company, it's usually just the major stakeholders in the uh, business continuity program. So your sponsor, your, you know, your vice presidents, your, your project management team, which is usually the beast, you know, the BCM or BCP coordinator, the guy who's in charge of putting this test on, you know, or, you know, and it's that you kind of limit your audience. You, know, it, you don't just give it to every single person, you know, in the uh, the company. Otherwise, you'll you'll never get anything done, right? So the and the next section, you you put the the, the test in context. So it, you identify the sponsor. Now I do want to talk about the sponsor because the sponsor is very important, not just in testing, but in the overall program. You know, if you don't have a sponsor, you're going to be fighting uphill battles all the way. You know, your, people are going to want to change things on you, you know, uh, and I've been through it with, with testing, you know, uh, we had a sponsor, but uh, one unit wanted us to continually uh, change some of the things that we were doing. And one of them was, oh, you know, users always have different uh, shortcuts on their desktops, which we all do, you know, on our home computers and work computers. And they said, for the test, you know, this is all our testers and these are all their shortcuts, so make sure they're on their desktops. Well, I instantly asked you know, our sponsor, you know, do we do that on a normal basis, you know, on a daily basis? And they said no. So I said, well, then we're not going to do this in the test. You know, we're, we're, we're planning everything. We're, we're trying to test the plan, you know, so if we don't do that on a normal basis, why are we going to do that for the test? You know, we, I documented a change request, which I'll get to uh, in this document as well. And it was declined. You know, and I went back to that unit and said, no, you know, the sponsor said, no, you don't do that on a daily, daily basis. It's not part of normal operations. So it's not going to be part of our test. But a sponsor is really important because they provide us financial support. They help determine the scope of the test. You know, you were going to do um, crisis management teams and all our technology recovery with business validation at the end, you know, as an example. You know, uh, they designate the test coordinator, which a lot of times ends up being, uh, you know, the, the BCP coordinator or whatever the role is called. You know, that's the person who's kind of in charge of the test and, you know, um, the, the project manager, you know, you can call call that person. You know, they determine the goals and the object, objectives of the test. Uh, you know, they 
pri- provide approval on any changes, um, like the one I just uh, mentioned now. You know, we had, uh, there were other instances where if we were going to test something, we needed a specific system, but we didn't identify that system in our scope. So we had to add uh, a change request to say, yes, this is now a part of this scope. Because in the document, you've listed everything that's in scope, and that system wasn't there. So we had to add it. And the sponsor looks at it and says, yes, we need that. And they sign off, and you know that becomes a part of your scope. If it's not signed off, it's not a part of your scope. You know, I'm sure many of you have been through projects where um, there's uh, what you call scope creep, and things just tend to you know, go out of hand, and you've got all this stuff getting done, but your scope isn't actually you know getting accomplished. All this other stuff is. So, you know, the, the sponsor provides a voice for business continuity at the executive boardroom. You know, they help resolve conflicts. You know, when people really want something, or you know, they. Teams aren't getting along because they're, you know, butting heads on how to do something or, you know, if something should be done at all. And they provide moral support, right? You know, we all, we all need that. So sponsors are pretty important. And this, this project charter, this test charter, helps identify who that person is. You know, the, that's the person who's paying for all of it. So you want to make sure they're happy, of course, right? So you identify that because they identify the project manager the charter should also identify who's you know their their representative in this whole test you know and a lot of times it was me you know and my colleague at the time uh, uh mr david budd he was my colleague or um what was the other gentleman's name uh, gino giampaolo i think his name was if i if i'm remembering it right it was either uh, one of the three of us that were one or all of us actually that were always identified there and we took uh, took all kinds of uh, you know control of of what needed to get done and you know massaged different things that needed to to be addressed and issue management and assigned the actions and things like that. So so you want to make sure that all your stakeholders know who is the focal point for the test, who's coordinating it. They're also going to want to know when the test is. You know, you've got to clearly define, you can't just say it's the end of September somewhere. What date, what time in September, when does it start? If you've got a third-party vendor, a lot of times you have to book your test, you know, a year, year and a half, or maybe even two years in advance. I know we had to test, uh, sorry, we had to book a test two years in advance once because the time frame we wanted had already been booked by another client uh, of the, the, the vendor. So you want to know and identify when this test is going to be. When it starts, you know, 8 a.m. on the morning of uh, a Saturday and it ends 8 a.m., you know, in the morning on the Monday, you know, a full 48 hours, you know, so, and that also helps other teams that will be a part plan their resources, you know, know that who needs to be on site of the test or who's dialing it from home into the, you know, the, the, to, to do validation exercises, you know, and activities, you know, so that it, it allows people to know what framework of what they're working in, you know, and if you're doing a test, you also want to know the declaration time because a lot of times, you know, if you're doing something major, you know, you may be starting the test on Friday morning or Saturday morning at 8 a.m., but you're declaring at, you know, Thursday, 8 p.m. So in your plan, you may have by the 12-hour mark, we will be at such and such point. So you, you put in your declaration time, you know, our test uh, we're declaring disaster at 8 p.m. on Thursday, but the test is starting on uh, Friday at 8 a.m. So 
that also allows people to know that when they bring their systems up, you know, and, and they validate everything, everything should be good, hopefully, nearest to 8 p.m. Thursday when that disaster happened as possible. You know, so it gives that time frame. And you also want the goals and objectives, you know, some primary goals and, you know, uh, uh, you know, secondary goals, what, you know, primary ones you really want to make sure are addressed. You know, if you've got a recovery time of 24 hours to have such and such up and running, like I mentioned before, that's your goal. We need to be there at this point, this milestone, you know, uh, by such and such of time. So that's your uh, goal and objective, you know, and you want to confirm or validate anything, you know, goals and objectives, you, you want them to be smart, right? Um, specific, measurable, attainable, um, uh, timely, you know, you, you want to make sure that they are, you, you can actually measure what you're doing, right? This is what we want to do. This is what we did. And this is how we measure against that. So your goals and objectives, you know, you'll help, you'll get that from your sponsors as well. And you'll probably get input from uh, other teams that are involved as well, because they may have some secondary goals, you know, within their own you know, business continuity plan or crisis management plan, you know, if they're involved with a test, they may say, well, if we're doing, if we're a part of this test, we want to have this, you know, we want to validate this piece as well. So you put that in and with those goals uh, and objectives, you also want to put a measurement. You know, if, like I said, if you have a recovery objective of 24 hours to have everything up and running, then you're going to measure everything against that. Right. If you if it doesn't get up and running until 36 hours, well, you didn't meet your objective. If it's up in 20 hours, hey, you exceeded it. You know, that's fantastic. You came in under, you know, you got it up sooner. And hopefully that happens through practice, you know, and people you know, doing that over and over again and uh, refining the documentation. You also want to list what's not in scope. Like I mentioned, scope creep. If it's not captured in in uh, the scope area, it's you're not working on it. Uh, you know, and if you are, it's a change request. You know, to the test. But list you know the basic stuff that's not in scope, so everyone understands. You know, so you've got your page that says this is what we are testing. This is what's in scope. Our systems, our processes, our, our teams. You know, uh, however you want to capture that, but also say but that means we're not doing this. You know, we're not testing these components so, so that everyone understands that. List your stakeholders, you know, all the key groups. Like I said, you know, if you're, if you're having marketing, sales, client services, and finance involved with your test, you know, make sure you've got one or two key individuals representing those areas that are kept in the loop of what's going on because they're going to help assign people from their teams to your test. You know, they're going, they're going to help identify uh, you know, these are going to be my representatives. They're going to help put our teams together, you know, to come on site and do the testing. Um, they're going to help validate. They're going to give you uh, information when they're they're doing um, what they need to do, you know, their progress, they're identifying issues, etc. So keep all your stakeholders identified, you know, from your key sponsors to your business units to your technology teams, you know, make sure you've got them all identified. Then everyone knows who they need to go to as a point of contact. You know, they may assign someone else, but at least we know that's the person who's, uh, you know, responsible to make sure the activities within finance, as an example, are done. Then you want to identify in the same charter, the team's roles and responsibilities. 
Now, this can be tricky sometimes because you're mixing a little bit of planning activities, you know, which normally wouldn't happen in a, in a uh, disaster, with some of the responsibilities that need to occur in a real situation. So be very careful when you're writing some of these out because these roles and responsibilities are associated with everyone on the team. And I'm going to give you some uh, examples um, uh, in a few minutes because the the sponsor has roles, you know, the the project managers, you know, uh, the BCP coordinator or the test facilitator has uh, responsibilities as well. And then all the, the project team, all those representatives, they have uh, responsibilities as well. So I'm going to go through that in a couple of minutes because uh, we're going to take a break right now and we'll be right back with our talk about uh, planning our tests. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back. 
this is our last segment, and we're talking about planning for our tests, you know, what we need to capture and document so that uh, when we get to our test, we've got everything uh, lined up, all the right activities done. You know, and as I said at the beginning when I started this, this is when you really start you know, you're the first time you go through this. When you start doing these tests more and more, um, the roles and responsibilities, the scopes, the teams involved all start to become known. You know, when you start refining your plans as you go through these tests, you start updating them, identifying issues and things that need to be addressed. So the planning time frame gets shorter and shorter and shorter. Uh, at least it should. If it's not, well, then maybe we're, you're not actually moving in the right direction. You're doing, you know, instead of trying to uh, reduce the planning effort and increase the knowledge, you're, you're increasing the knowledge of planning, but the knowledge of what the actual uh, test is and what needs to be done there is not increasing. So we left off at team's role and responsibilities. So I'm just going to give a couple of examples of what uh, the roles and responsibilities of some of the the participants needs to be the sponsor I, I think i went through some of those but the you know they approve decline change requests you know which sometimes can include uh, money as well you know and they provide guidance to the project manager or the test facilitator when things pop up you know uh, so they they take that role the test facilitator or the project manager of the test you know they're the single party uh, the single point of contact for everybody you know, anything that needs to happen with the test, that's the person they come to. You know, if they have an issue that needs to be dealt with, um, bring it to the project manager and the project manager can get the right people involved for you and you can go meet them and hopefully resolve your issue. You know, they're the single point of contact. If you have a DR vendor, you know, that's the person that uh, they need to talk to, you know, so that the vendor and yourself, you know, are on the same wavelength and all your expectations are being met. They're managing the risk and mitigation logs and the risk, uh, the issue logs, you know, and they're making decisions based on the guidance provided by the sponsor. You know, and let's be honest, sometimes, you know, not everyone gets their way. So when you, when you communicate a decision, document it. You know, capture it so that you know that, uh, you know, this is what we decided on this point and this is the reasoning why and this is the date that it was decided so that when the test comes along, people aren't, well, we didn't know that. So we went and did this anyway, because then they can kind of skew your results. You know, that we, we did it successfully. Well, that's fine, but it wasn't in scope. So it doesn't have to add any value to us. So those are some roles of the project manager and the team members. Well, they're the first point of contact for their own little teams. You know, uh, if if the stakeholder for finance identifies Jill as the point of contact, anything to do with finance, the project manager and all other teams go to Jill. You know, she will take her uh, teams and, and talk with them and work through their activities and coordinate what needs to be done there. And then anything that needs to be brought back to the project manager or the test coordinator, you know, that's what she will do. She has the authority to make decisions within her own uh, team, you know, for finance, and they own and investigate and resolve their own issues. You know, as a, a lot of times, you know, people have a, a problem or an issue and they expect everyone else to fix it. But sometimes, a lot of times, actually, the answer is within your own group. So, so those are just some very high-level uh, roles and responsibilities you want to capture. You know, uh, you want to put, I mentioned this earlier as a milestone, you want to put some uh, key milestones so that people know where they are. 
you know, the, and some of those milestones may be, this is the, uh, the declaration date of the test. You know, at 12 hours, uh, you know, we expect to be at XYZ point. That's another milestone. At 24 hours, we expect to be at this milestone. Or you could just say, you know, our, our milestone is uh, Outlook to be up and running in three hours. You know, uh, that's, that's what you're shooting for. You know, business, if they're coming in and generating reports um, and they have three hours to generate the entire reports that they normally do on a daily operation, well, then you capture that uh, as a milestone, you know, with the time frame in there and say, this is where we are. And then you know where your deficiencies are. When you finish your test, it's, you know, yeah, we got it done within that time frame, which is, which is fantastic. However, we've got some issues with our report generation because it actually took six hours um, and then the activities that came after that were shortened. So, you know, you want to capture some uh, milestones so people know where they're going and how they're progressing to those milestones. And of course, and I've mentioned it before with the test types, you know, it, when it comes to the actual tests, you know, these simulation tests, these big tests, you know, make sure you capture assumptions. You know, if you're assuming, you know, that uh, certain uh, activities will be kicked off by certain people, um, as an example, you know, nobody starts an activity until the uh, disaster notification application is activated and everyone receives a specific email that says, now you can start. You know, if that's the assumption, then fine, because otherwise people might start a day or two early. And I've seen it. I've seen people start early, uh, you know, just to make things look good but in the end it you know it didn't validate that our uh, your initiation kickoff piece uh, actually worked so it didn't help in the end so you know capture your your assumptions you know and uh, make sure that uh, you you address those and that everyone is aware of them and identify your constraints you want to document anything that can uh, is a constraint for you you know um, one constraint may be production environment. You know, any testing that you do cannot touch production. You know, you we cannot make sure um, uh, that anything we're doing does not touch the production environment. And it could also be that if there is an issue in the production environment while you're testing, the people who are testing may be the ones who need to stop their testing and go address the the issues that are occurring in the production environment. So the production environment could be a constraint for you, depending on how you're set up, you know, the timeframes you're, you're testing, what kind of testing and what you're testing. But make sure you document your constraints. It could also be resources too. As, as I just used the example, the people that are uh, testing could also be the same people who need to support, you know, client issues, you know, or, or other um, employee issues, you know, desktop problems and things like that, you know, that could be drawn away from the test. So capture that, you know, you don't, uh, you know, if you only have 20 people in IT and they're doing tests and production, well, they're going to be spread a little bit thin and you can't expect people to work 24, you know, 48 hours, even though I've seen people try to do that. And even I tried to do that once and, you know, I was sleeping uh, in a chair, and I think there's a picture somewhere of me doing that, you know, after about 30 hours where I'm just not, not moving anymore. So, you know, also another constraint, if you do have a vendor, um, or, and not just so much a vendor even, you know, it could be um, uh, some sort of a contractual um, constraint as well. You know, you only have your uh, alternate site, whether it be with a, a third party or your own location, 
uh, at another city or another building, you know, within the same city, we can only use that for 48 hours. You know, it doesn't matter what we do, how we're doing, you know, if we're resolving issues, we still need to be done by such and such a time. And no matter where we are, as of such and such a time, we have to stop, you know, because the, the building, the facility has to be handed over to new people who are testing or back over to, you know, the, the daily operations team to come in and do their production activities. So, you know, make sure you capture your constraints, what, what might hold you back, you know, things that could, could hamper your progress. And I alluded to this already, change management. Make sure you outline the change management process. You know, if someone wants to add something to the scope, or even if something has to come out of scope, you know, you want to document it. What's the reason for it? You know, why are we adding this? You know, what's the benefit to adding this? What will it do for us? You know, what what plan does that impact? What team does it impact? You know, it does it increase, you know, our timeframes? Is there, does it incorporate or add additional risk to our task and test and what we're doing. So you want to make sure you, you capture your change management process and, and document it and have a, a, a change management uh, template. And I have a basic one on my website, um, uh, alexfollett.com. You can get to it and it allows you to just quickly document. And again, you take that to the sponsor and if the sponsor agrees, he signs off on it, and you can go back to the team, whether it be finance, client services, whoever, and say, yeah, we're going to do that. Or if there's something we can't do because um, for what for whatever reason, you know, if, if we test this, we have to shut down, you know, this piece of production or it could impact. Um, while the risk is too great, no, we're going to take that out of scope and we're not going to test that right now. We'll do that at another time. You want to capture that again in uh, your your change management process because it's in your scope. It says you will have done this. So when you get to your findings, which we'll talk about next th- next time, it's going to say you tested XYZ, but really you didn't because you would have impacted production if you did. But your document says you did. So now it looks as though you you kind of didn't do something and you're fudging your results and you don't want to do that. You want to be clear and transparent, you know, and, and everyone understands. So you, your change management process has to be clear, transparent to everybody. Everything comes to the test coordinator and they go to the sponsor and say, is this valid or not? And sometimes the test coordinator is going to know in advance, you know, like uh, the example I said about the shortcuts people put on their desktops, you know, you don't do that in normal uh, operations. Technology doesn't do that. They don't monitor it. And I can't imagine anyone ever doing that. Um, at least maybe it does. And maybe you could send me an email and let me know if you, how you do that. But, you know, if a company has a thousand employees and shortcuts are changing on people's desktops every day because of something, you know, they like or see or need, I can't see how you would be able to do that with a test, you know, and, and pull all that together. That'd be very difficult for people, I'm sure. So uh, you also want to put in uh, the next section, uh, the risk management and mitigation. You know, you want to know, uh, identify our risk if we do this, you know, are we avoid, you know, what, what could be the, the impact? I tend to like the if-then statements. If this happens, then this could impact us. And then follow it up with a qualifier. So what? You know, what does that mean to our test? You know, oh, nothing. It's just, you know, awareness. Okay, well, then that's fine. But it could be if we don't, if we don't have this in place by um, three hours, 
then Outlook's not going to be up and running and we won't be able to test, um, you know, the follow-up processes afterwards. Ah, well, that's different. Okay, how are we going to do that? You know, let's check our plan. We go through that. We find our mitigations to, to address the risks. So make sure you have a risk mitigation section. And then if you're ha- during the, your test, you want to have um, uh, periodic conference calls with key players and the, the key stakeholders because they're going to want to know how things are going. You're not just walking into a testing location and doing your own thing and never communicating to them. So you're either going to want to leave a voicemail somewhere that they can all access and listen to what the status is or a conference bridge, which you want to keep in this document to say, call this line at these time frames, you know, every three hours. We're going to have a quick conference call for 10 minutes to give a status to everybody, you know, then make sure that's in here because then everyone's got that information. Issue management as well, you know, this is issue management, not just during planning, but also issue management, how you're going to do that during the test. You know, if there's an issue comes up, are they going to deal, run run to the test facilitator before they do anything? You know, uh, do they have the authority to address it, you know, right then and there, but then after that's ta- been taken care of, come back to the tef- test facilitator to let them know this was our issue and this is what we did about it. And then document it because you may need that at future tests, right? And the last piece you want to make sure you put in there is terminology, because everyone's got a different uh, you know, answer for what is a disaster, what is business continuity, what is a recovery time objective. You know, put in some of the basic terminology so you're all speaking the same language. Okay? And then once you've got all that and you've reviewed it with everybody, and especially the sponsor, get sign off. And then that's the Bible of truth. You know, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. And you can use that when any, anybody comes to, to you regarding uh, suggestions to changes or to do something different. It's like, that's not in our, our charter, our test charter. So um, if you want to do that, put a change request together and justify it. Why? You know, and then everyone's working in the same playpen, right? So I suggest using that. I've used it many times. It works very well. And I already know for a fact because I've been audited a few times on tests. Audit loves it. So I suggest everyone do something like that. So that's our show this week. Uh, I hope uh, every, it's given some insight of planning on, on these tests and uh, some ideas on how you can help coordinate and make your tests come uh, better. Next week, I hope uh, that you, you join us for our third part. And we're going to talk about the findings. You know, when we actually do the test and we capture our findings, what do we do afterwards? Again, if you do have any questions or uh, even just comments, you know, or topic ideas, please send me an email, alex at stone-road.com. You know, you can find me on uh, Stone Road Inc. on Facebook, uh, uh, Twitter at prep4dr, you know, uh, Stone Road's blog on on WordPress, or uh, just you can find me through alexfullick.com even. So, Feel free to send some information. I thank you for listening, and I look forward to, uh, to hearing your thoughts and input. You know, this is your show as well, so I look forward to it. Take care and stay prepared, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 